Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple podcast. My name is James Johnson. I'm here with my co-host... Elizabeth Shaby. Elizabeth, we have yet again another special guest in the studio today to wrap up our series on the redemption of Babel. We have Reverend Catherine Booth Olson, Jr. the third, or I don't know, how many names do you have in your name? Just now? Catherine Booth Olson, perfectly proper and Southern. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be with you. Uh, we are going to talk about Jerusalem and Holy Week and Easter today, but before we get into that, um, let's just have a couple thoughts about how we thought Easter went here at Northside Church. Oh, it was great. I loved Easter. It it, it felt like one more one more step away from what was the pandemic. Like yeah. not that there's ever going to be a return to what was or to normal and that was never the goal, but it was joyous and it was worshipful and it was people and animals animals and if y'all know me you love i know i love a north side animal i was gonna ask if you enjoy the animals this year if anyone would like a selfie you can contact me Catherine b at northsideumc.org and i will send a picture of me with an animal that's wonderful <laughs> if you would like a new background photo for your cell Catherine. phone Catherine holding a goat. As I shared with some other, with another pastor at another congregation that does not understand my fascination with spring fertility animals connected to Easter. <laughs> what what kind of podcast is this? Wow. Um, I love Easter animals like Jesus loves us with <laughs> reckless abandon. Do you like little chicks? Like, you know, like little chickens, baby chickens? I worry that those get shaken. Yeah. yeah, but I love thing. these animals for no reason, not because they deserve it <laughs> or because they need it. It is just, <laughs> just grace. They bring you happiness. It is just grace. When and I when I was a kid, they gave away little baby chickens to all of us at church, and wow. I took home like five of them and put them in a box <laughs> and put a little bowl of water in there for them. Three of them drowned in the water that night, wow. and I think the other two uh, froze to death because you got to keep this, warm. Was this like that's not before a, PETA existed? <laughs> it was the eighties. Uh, I don't know when PETA came a, into a prior senior pastor <laughs> at Northside United Methodist Church. Uh, no names will be given. Uh, one year asked that we give out checks, yeah, and I idea. had a, a similar concern. That we would end up in the AJC and ask yeah. that we not give chicks to Buckhead children because I did not think that most city or neighborhood ordinances yeah. would like chicks. Yeah. So back to how worship went, it, <laughs> it was better than the animals. The Hallelujah Chorus, yeah, very good. I thought both sermons, having heard both of them, were filled with amazing words of grace to which us one sinners. Was, which one was better? Let's start oh, rivalry. No. And this is how who, we all don't work here it? tomorrow. Who did it best? Dr. Bill or soon to be Dr. Jeff? Which one was it? Oh, that's right. Getting a little doctor yeah, in front of his yeah, name. That's next exciting. Month. I plead I plead grace and the fifth. <laughs> one was eighteen minutes, one was nineteen minutes. I think they both wow. exegeted the scripture well and gave well, gave Jesus his due. That, that's fantastic. Well, that's good. <laughs> Elizabeth, what was your experience of Easter Sunday? 
I saw a lot of smiles and happy fa- happy faces and hugs and a lot of joy. It was it yeah. was a good morning. Yeah. And I also this year I did not get to see the animals last year. I was I don't know running around doing something. But this year I got to pet a very comatose cow and <laughs> a drugged chicken and a Benadryled horse. So and some very fluffy bunnies. I was wondering if they had to date those animals or not. They, they do not. I did talk really? to the gentleman who works like, with them, and he said the animals like. They're just chill. Like this is That's like amazing. their ministry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and they're calling and they're gifting to the world Fantastic. and they're just wow. like chill around kids. Like this is what they do every weekend. All right. All right. Wow. So they're kind of just tamed and domesticated mm-hmm. basically. That's fascinating. I had some, some of my unchurched friends were uh, telling me, asking me about Easter. They're like, this is like the Super Bowl for you, isn't it? And it really is. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is like a. Yeah, it really is uh, my favorite day of the year. It's the day that every other Sunday is a reflection of. I think it's a really important part of who we are as Christians. But unfortunately for today, we're going to do a little bit of rewind and we're going to put Jesus back on the cross, take him off the cross and put him back on the donkey and go all the way back to Palm Sunday and talk a little bit about Holy Week and some of our reflections from uh, not only just Lent devotional, but our own reflections on the scriptures themselves. Um, so I want to start with Palm Sunday. Uh, let's see if we can go all the way back to that. Our city today, Ooh. our city the, this week in the devotional for the Holy Week was Jerusalem. the city of Jerusalem, right? Which is a pretty important city plays a pretty pivotal role in both the Old and New Testaments. Uh, founded a long time ago, 3,000 years before Jesus was born, and then made the capital, made renamed from Salem to Jerusalem by David, and made the capital of Israel, and the place where the temple was built. Plays a huge role in the imagination. And if you'd like to see some Jerusalem stone, come here to Northside Church and check out the prayer chapel. That's right. That oh, is yeah. right. The stone that is in our prayer chapel is actual Jerusalem stone cut That's in amazing. Jerusalem. Cut and it straight from the Wailing Wall, as I recall. No, that is not exactly <laughs> accurate. <laughs> These stones were part of the temple at one point. I think we recovered them. And they. if you look very closely, you can see David and Solomon written their names. <laughs> written their names in the corner. Uh, so, so anyway, never let, let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, let's talk about it. One of the things that's interesting to me about Palm Sunday is, in so many ways, it's just like a it's an everyday. We're gonna go. We're gonna go to like the local parade. Like, oh, it's a parade. Like, don't, like, we have nothing to do today. Let's go down to the local parade. This city is an old city, you know, with a wall around it, with a lot of entrances. And if you go and visit, you know, the gates are named and you learn like, oh, well, that's the sheep gate. No, 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 not the sheep gate. We're going to the, but like, you're like, oh, we're just going to go, like, we're just going to go down to the parade. Like, there's not going to be a little, little event down on the corner. Um, And then you're like, wait, this is a parade unlike any other because it's not the white horse it's not the chariot it's not yeah. it's a donkey like a donkey. this is not a good parade like there's no beads there's no candy <laughs> right. like there's no band like this is not macy's this is like your little country town parade and you're like this is like ponca city oklahoma christmas <laughs> parade there we go got donkey i'm, I'm almost positive there's donkeys out there wow um, actually um if you go to alabama 
Um, my father. Why would I ever do that? Yeah. There is a small town just outside of Tuscaloosa every year that does a, par- a parade and there are donkeys <laughs> and like tractors because it's a wow. farming town. But like, this is like not like we want to think it's like this, like, oh, like we know Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords and yeah. Jesus is coming in. Like, and it's like, that is not actually. Yeah. Like there were kings who got big right. parades and this is like, oh, they're they are underwhelming, underwhelming parade. Mm. Do you think the people that were there thought it was underwhelming? They seem like they're having a good time. So I don't know. I guess I would guess not because they thought this was like a really important situation as as the people caught on to what was going on here, right? Mm-hmm. And this whole this whole thing that happens with Jesus is supposed to be a. I think it's either a reflection of or maybe even a mockery of what they did. You know, in Rome when a Caesar or a general would mm-hmm. come back from war, they would they would throw in the big triumph as they came into Rome. And they would they would parade behind them. This is where actually where all of our modern day parades come from, is they would parade behind them all the gold and slaves and things that they they took from this land that they just you know victoriously slain, and now Jesus is coming in without the white like you said without the white horse without the chariot and mm-hmm. and he's just riding a donkey. But behind him is a is a mass. The, the scripture says a mass of disciples, bunch of people just saying, "Hey, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King." So. They seem like they were having a good time. Yeah. Okay. But it is it is supposed to be a mockery of, or at least a, um, I don't know, like a parody, a parody, parody maybe that's yeah. a good word, satire yeah. of of what victory looks like because Jesus is actually headed toward a cross. He's actually headed toward being slain rather than coming back from slaying others. And I thought one of the great notes that you made and distinctions you made is that the parade did not start inside the city yeah. walls, that the parade started outside the city gates. And who lives outside of a city gate? Like, mm-hmm. it is the peasant. It is the yeah. poor person. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. not the rich. It is not the wealthy. It is right. not the ruler. Like, any, if you've watched any great epic story, you yeah. know it's the poor people who live outside of Troy. It is the poor people outside of Sparta. It is the poor people outside of Jerusalem who can see in Jesus what the rich and the wealthy and the powerful cannot. Yeah, yeah. Because they they see that the rich and the powerful have not provided what Jesus can. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's good. And so it's the people outside the walls, the people who have been... And there are a few exceptions. I mean, we have a few rich rulers who sure. get behind Jesus. There are a few people of power, the Zacchaeuses, who say, oh, all, right, I, all, right. I, all right, but the but the majority right. of Jesus' followers are the outsiders, the, yeah, that's right. the commoners. The, that's really not something that I had caught before, because every time I've heard this story when I was a kid and, and when I've seen pictures of it in you know, children's Bibles or whatever, it always depicts Jesus as coming through the gates in Jerusalem, and it's it's not. It's it's as he approaches Jerusalem. By the yeah. time he gets to Jerusalem, the parade's over. He's hopped off the donkey and he's headed to the temple. So there's 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 something about that, and I think uh, Catherine did a great job there of highlighting the fact that who are the people on the outside? People outside the city are the ones who actually hear and recognize Jesus. Although these are going to be the same people that once they filter into the city, will become the same people who start to yell, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" later on in the week. The most interesting part to me is thinking about the moment when Jesus starts weeping over the city, right? I mean, if you were picturing this scene, we're outside the walls, 
it's a parade like you're describing you know and joy and all the things and then what you know like jesus on this donkey and then he like comes up to the city gates and in that moment the star of your parade just starts bawling you know i mean that's quite an image you know and everyone's right that's I mean, true it's true i've never I thought mean, about imagine this before. the macy thanksgiving day parade ending with santa just the crying crying <laughs> just weeping over him weeping over all of us you know i mean you always talk about you know we read these things over and over again and sometimes per- certain parts strike us differently and yeah. this was the thing that struck mm-hmm. me this year reading this out you know like and then you know the pharisees are you know telling the crowds you know stop you know telling jesus to tell the crowds to stop right and then he says you know if if they keep quiet the stones will cry out and then as he approached the city he just starts weeping yeah i mean that's quite a powerful image you know to be to be so moved in that moment you know, as you know, the people are behind you and people are praising you and shouting Hosanna and you're coming through the gates and you're on a donkey and, you know, all, and then, and then you just see the city and you're so moved by how lost they are that you just start crying. Yeah. It is. Ooh, that and is it's all down, downhill from there. You know? <laughs> well, I think for Jesus there. to recognize all of a sudden he has become more important than the city. Mm. And that is a shift that we Christians take that in many ways our Jewish brothers and sisters won't take. Yeah. Mm. They are waiting for the restoration and the redemption of the temple. Yeah. yeah. And we believe Jesus has become yeah. the temple and we become the temple in which Jesus yeah. then like Jesus becomes the sacrifice and now we get to become the temple in which he resides. They still are waiting. I mean, yeah. um, they are waiting for the temple in Jerusalem to be restored. And we say we get to be restored right. because Jesus. That's good. And yeah. so I think there's, he sees a city that he's been told his whole life. That's where you go. I mean, he, rem- uh, I'm sure yeah. remembers being a boy and going there and getting lost and study and wonder. And yeah. these people are waiting for the city to be the place where God resides. And he's like, nope, God's resided in me. And this city isn't going to be restored. I'm going to restore the city. And like, yeah. he knows they don't get that. Yeah. Like they can't. Yeah. How could you? Like that's mind boggling. Yeah. yeah. Like it's good. so, it's just too big. And, and I think that is a place where, um, at least in conversation of where do we deviate from like this Palm Sunday conversation that we have in our Passover conversation that our Jewish friends are having this, yeah. this past week. You know, that's what they're still waiting for. Yeah. yeah. Is they're yeah. waiting for like the redemption of the temple. And we're Consolation saying. Consolation of Israel. And when we're saying, well, Jesus. It kind of, it already kind of happened. Yeah. You know what I mean, yeah, and I mean, that's a, that's a tension point between our two uh, faiths, even though, you know, the fact that I like that you call them our brothers and sisters, because that's, that's what they are in the faith. Um, to think about that in terms of expectation and and how Mm. this actually plays out um and how how little the disciples themselves really understood what it was that jesus was accomplishing through this grand entrance and this you know he goes straight to the temple Mm. when he comes into the city the first thing he does is go to the temple and that's where we get probably the most aggressive act of jesus's ministry where he begins to flip tables and just kind of flips out and drives animals out of the temple um that that really is the moment where Jesus. That's that's what he's doing. He's restoring, like you're talking about, like he's restoring the temple, but he's re, he's doing it in a way that I think people did not 
expect or did not or could not handle maybe at the time. Yeah. And I think that is often why the disciples and even we as disciples are so confused. We're like that we have one expectation of who Jesus could and should and needs to be. And Jesus is like, no, I've, I did what I, I did what the scripture said, yeah. but not in the way you expected. And we're like, no, no, no. I, I, you said you were going to provide dessert and I thought dessert meant cake. And he's like, oh, well I meant pie. We we're like, oh, but it wasn't. So, oh, it's not good enough. And so it just, the alignment of expectation and hope. Yeah. And something gets lost. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. So anyways, but I do wonder how we get though from like from the flipping of tables and like this like disruption in the temple to like, I mean, it's funny. Someone caught me midweek and they're like, so it's Wednesday. Does anything happen on Wednesday? Like what happens in the Wednesday? That's the day that Judas decides he's going to betray Jesus. Yeah. I was like, there is, but you know, like, but like, how do you get from like, I think that's always the question. How do you get from like Hosanna to yeah. crucify him to he's alive yeah, so, so quickly, quickly yeah. in a week, but also in a given day? Like, I think mm-hmm. I can see that mood swing in myself. Like there are, I can't see that in a meeting or in a conversation with a friend. Like, yeah, oh, totally. like, Jesus is reigning and ruling and God is at work. Oh my goodness. Like I am frustrated and disappointed and nothing's going well to like, it's falling apart and I like there's nothing going well. <laughs> this to, like, meeting feels like I'm hanging on a cross. Yes. To, That's like, how I feel about every meeting. And then to, oh, wait, there, there is hope. There is new life. Like, yeah. like in a matter of minutes, you can go from like Jesus is reigning and ruling to Jesus isn't anywhere in this to like, it's all. It's all Jesus. <laughs> it's all Je- like how quickly like yeah, just our emotions right. flow and our faithfulness flows or our lack of faith ceases like yeah i think it's it's a good reminder of of (laughs) just how human we are right and Mm -hmm. how human jesus was and how human this 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 week this passion Mm -hmm. week that we talk about is just woven through with humanity Mm -hmm. until the moment really until the moment that uh, Jesus is resurrected on Sunday, so it's like not, it's not even like the Passion Week. It's like the next week where where there's you get this divine presence kind of thing. But there's so much humanity that's happening here. Even in Jesus Christ, we're seeing the the most human version, the most human expression of who Jesus is during this week, uh, even before the cross. When we have Jesus in the garden, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and how he is basically trying like like abraham like trying to negotiate with god a little bit and 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 you can really see jesus is fully human here uh trying to be like hey you know i don't i don't really want to i don't think i really want to do this if there's some other way we can do this you know if there's another way for this cup you know if you could pass this to the next guy or (laughs) some other way uh you really get a human feeling for what jesus must have been feeling and going through in that moment this is why I love uh, Monday, Thursday services, Good Friday services. I went to a Black Saturday vigil once. Like I, I love all that leading up to Easter because it, and I really appreciate this idea of talking about Holy Week as this this picture of of just humanity, you know, just being what it means to be human and going through all those feelings and experiences and joys and triumphs and tragedies and all the things. Um, that is quite, it's quite a movement. Yeah. And there's, there's, it's, 
it's very deep everything that happens and that's going on in that week um yeah I've just always appreciated kind of riding that roller coaster and going through the steps of it before you get to Easter. Yeah. You know, because Easter to me, if you don't go through all that, Easter feels empty. Yeah. Or it feels, you know, I don't know, like like that feeling that you get at Christmas, you know, after you, you know, realize that maybe something that you thought was true when you were a kid is not necessarily true anymore, <laughs> you know, and you get that like, what is Christmas even about? You know, it just kind of like feels empty, like you're yeah. supposed to feel joyful, but uh, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I've had Christmases like that as an adult, but that's what Easter feels like to me. If you don't go through the Monday, Thursday, the good Friday and think about really what led to that, yeah, that ultimate resurrection joy. It's like trying to have Christmas without doing Christmas Eve. Yeah. Without having like the anticipation and the, and or doing Christmas without Advent. Right. Yeah. And I do think the the high isn't high if you don't have a low. I mean, yeah. truly, you wouldn't know if it was high, right? I mean, you like, I mean, like in a very, very pragmatic, literal way. Um, if you don't have a loss, if you don't recognize your sin, you don't need a savior. Yeah. yeah. If you don't have a need, you don't have someone come and care for you. If you're if you're not concerned about death, there's not a reason to think about eternal life. And so sure. I think if we don't deal yeah. with the reality of like the world is broken, I long for something different. This isn't right. However, we understand Jesus's salvific act. And I think there's a lot of ways theologians can talk about what did Jesus really do for us? Right. What we do know is like this world is broken and this is not right. And there are times when it seems as if God is silent. And that is what I think stands out to me about Good Friday and Holy Saturday. Like there are times where it does seem as if God is not speaking. Yeah. And if we can if we can trust and have faith as small as a mustard seed, if we can persevere and believe that God is sometimes at work behind the scenes when we cannot see it. And I think that becomes ever more apparent when you become maybe a boss or a parent when you're like, <laughs> particularly when you're advocating for maybe a child and you're like, mm. your kid does not see that you are, you are trying to help them in ways, but you're not being blatant about it. You're right. like, I'm setting you up for success by like cooking healthy meals for them and doing their laundry and like sacrificing your own schedule. But you haven't told them you're doing these things. You're just doing it. Right. Yeah. Or sometimes you do it for like an team member an employee you're like i i changed like i changed my schedule or i advocated for a raise for you or i you know like i leveraged uh another event for you or tried to get you resources and they have no clue what's happening behind the scenes but you are at work yeah. for their good and yeah. they are they're they will never know the good you are doing for them right all they know is the silence and yeah. I think that is so much of what honoring and acknowledging the low of life and the difficulty of the silence, how much more joyous the, the Easter becomes. You're like, oh, like, because I honest, honored the hard and the silent and the unknown, the joy becomes that much more pal palpable. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And then we get to this moment of Easter. So we we just got through Easter. I mean, we just talked about how our Easter Sunday went. But what is what is Easter? 
actually mean to you? What does Easter actually mean for us as a church or as disciples of Jesus Christ? What does the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually mean? Sure. I think there are a couple of things that stand out to me. One is the promises of God are true. Mm, um, you know, like the, the promise of God is true, that God is still at work in the world. Um, and so to trust in that promise that God is still working. How does that, how does the resurrection connect to the promises of God? I think for me, it's really that Romans eight, like nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ yeah. Jesus, neither life nor death. Mm-hmm. Um, that resurrection moment that when everything seems lost, when everything seems final, when everything seems absolute, the yeah. story's not done. Like, and <laughs> yeah. I think death seems so absolute. And yeah. I think this side of this side of like the mystery of like what happens in that moment when we close our eyes and don't open them once again. Yeah. That's what resurrection is. It's holding on to the mystery that we don't really know. Right. But I do believe that there's more to this than we can understand. Sure. And, and that's a faith statement. Like that God is still at work even when we don't understand it. Yeah. There's a great line in this week's episode of The Mandalorian, which I know neither one of you probably watched, but there's that one, is a true statement. There is yeah. one, there's one character who is just like completely beaten down and like she doesn't know what she's going to do and she's supposed to be the leader of a people. Uh, and she's made a lot of mistakes in the past. And, and the, the other character comes up behind her and try to get encouraged her. And he says something to the effect of your song hasn't been written yet. And until it has been, I serve you, right? And so there's there's this level of like our song hasn't been written yet, mm-hmm. uh, and death is not the end of the song, right? That mm-hmm. there's there are more lyrics to come, so to speak. I suppose uh, that the story isn't over yet. There's a I have the privilege of preaching this Sunday, so a little a uh, little personal plug. Um, so hey, this Sunday, come yeah, come to worship, yeah. So this Sunday sermon is Messiah off key Hallelujah. So last week you got to hear. If you came to traditional worship, the Hallelujah Chorus sung yeah. beautifully. You can now, also, you're going to sing it off key for us? If I were to sing it, it would be off key. I think you should do it, Catherine. A uh, joyful I noise. Think it, it, it would be a that. joyful noise, and it would be off key. Um, I take what the Charles Wesley says in the hymnal to sing lustily, not lustfully, but lustily, <laughs> with vigor, with conviction, with passion, sincerely. Um, I don't usually sing on key. Um, but one of the things we do, <laughs> I, love it. I love it. One of the things we do when we're not on the mountaintop of Easter, when we're not at the best, when things, um, when things do go wrong, like since Easter, I'm guessing something has gone wrong in your life. Sure. Since last Sunday, someone has been heinous, annoying, frustrating. Something has broken. Something has been disappointing. There has been a death. There has been a disappointment. There has been anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have been reminded this world is not our home and it is broken. It is off key. Yeah. And we are still called to sing a hallelujah. We are called to I keep like singing yeah. our faith. Yeah. And we keep singing. We keep praying. We keep reading scripture. We keep showing up in worship and community and prayer we keep tending to the spiritual disciplines. Why? You keep you keep doing it because at some point, I believe Jesus will return. Right. I, I right. believe in Revelation. Yeah. Um. At four o'clock, they're gonna actually sing it on key, but I don't <laughs> sing. I don't sing on key. I mostly sing off key. And why do I do it? Because I remember that I do believe that Jesus wasn't a lunatic, and I don't think he was a liar. Yeah. I think he was trustworthy and true. 
I put my faith and hope in him. And I believe, I believe the eyewitness account that like the story isn't over. And I heard someone else proclaim this notion and these three truths. Jesus says, I love you. I miss you. I will not abandon you. Yeah, that's good. I love you. I miss you. I will not abandon you. And I think so many of us are afraid of one of those things not being true. Yeah. Yeah, like, really will good. we be like, what if, what if no one loves me? And what if no one notices me? And what if I get left behind or abandoned? And mm-hmm. I'm like, so that's what I think Easter. I mean, there's a lot of things Easter is. It's more than all of that. But <laughs> yeah. like, that's the, well, why we keep singing every Sunday. Cause I think we could have ended it 2000 years ago. Oh, Jesus is dead. Like Jesus is dead. Oh, and he's alive. It's over. It's over. Like we're, it's over. No, Jesus we're is alive. Out. We're just hanging out. But like, we have to keep remembering. Yeah. I love you, I miss you, and I will not abandon you. Um, I was thinking about on the way to work this morning, the the whole idea, we've talked about this before, that, you know, learning to be a follower of Jesus is not about... Um, it's not about separating yourself from the muck and the brokenness of the world. It's about like the peace that God gives you amidst that. Yeah. Right. And I was, I was frustrated about something on the way to work and I was thinking about that. Like it's, these are the moments, you know, that we have to remember that there is a, you know, that resurrection hope that Easter is that, you know, the hallelujah is ours. Right. And we're called to that, you know, we're called to respond like that amidst the brokenness of the world. It's not about getting away from the brokenness or um, separating yourself from it or ignoring it or, you know, making it go away. You know, James, you've been talking about the whole, the difference between a restart. The resurrection is not a, a restart. God doesn't right. wipe the slate clean. Like God already said God wasn't going to do that again, like did it once and God's not going to do that again. You know, it's about resurrecting the brokenness that we are and making wholeness within that. Yeah. And it also doesn't mean we don't stop doubting. Like, I think doubt is an essential part of faith. Absolutely. And very healthy. So, like, yeah. you know, we won't do doubting Thomas here. Um, but in the season of Easter, I think uh, doubt is a very healthy, active part of growing in faith. Absolutely. Um, and so, like, we encounter in this Easter tide, like, doubting Thomas and the ro- people on the road to Emmaus. Like, yeah. we keep encountering these folks who are like, could he really be alive? Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Like it does not make sense that Jesus is alive. That is not logical, but it is possible. Right. And so we doubt, we question, we get curious, we wrestle with, and we acknowledge our vulnerabilities and our heartache and death does still sting. Yeah. And we keep our faith and we, seek redemption and we have hope and there is restoration and there is wholeness like it's all of it it's not one or the other yeah it's and (laughs) just a bunch of string of ands together that and that is something that we we tried to push in the devotional this year was the idea that talking about redemption of Babel, like the redemption which which ultimately uh, results in resurrection is not is not the absence of um, the past. It's not the absence of what has made you who you are. It's not the absence of the brokenness and the pain and the, even the death. Like 
when Jesus is resurrected, he doesn't start over. He still has a body, and he still has the same body because you're putting the talking about dying Thomas. You're putting your fingers in, his, in the finger holes, you know, stuff, and in his side. And so, there, there's a level of which a lot of people have asked me about this this metaphor that we've been wrestling with or playing with now since Advent. You know, this gardens versus cities thing. And a lot of people have asked me, well, "What are we supposed to do? Just go back to the garden?" And the answer to that question is no, because we don't get to go back. The Garden of Eden is not an option. Never again. That was a one-time deal. And God, as we said many times before, God is looking for a partner. He's looking for a co-worker in creation. And we showed up and we said, we'd rather not have gardens. We want cities. And God's going to find a way to redeem that. And that's what we see in Revelation. So is it urban parks? <laughs> I mean, Something like that, right? I mean, no, like, that's exactly right. But I mean, yeah. I think the, the question, and I think that was an interesting reality, is that people do listen to you. James, and I think people do read scripture, and I think people have wrestled with this devotional. Um, Bill and Jeff both challenge us around what does it mean to follow the master? Yeah. Um, and one of the opportunities was to talk about a master gardener. Yeah. If Jesus is the master gardener, and we follow Jesus, we take some of the lessons from the garden into the city. So what do we do? We plant flower boxes, we put gardens in our backyard, we tend vines like yeah. how do we take the garden into the city yeah yeah i mean i think for me it's a lot about how if you want to be um more literal about it you're thinking about the broken systems that a city you know uh supports you know people are hungry people are you know homeless people you know people have needs and they're not getting fulfilled because of this system that we've created right and um and so what does it mean to look for the places where we can uh, fight that, right? And so, yes, it's, you know, it's feeding people, right? It's, it's you know, it's an organization like Concrete Jungle that goes around and looks for all the fruit trees around the city. And, you know, you, you sign up to pick the fruit off of them, right? No one owns them. The fruit's just falling to the ground and go around and pick up that fruit and turn around and give it to either literally a person or an organization that's giving it to a person that needs food. It's a great, great ministry. Or you work with Trees Atlanta trees, actually right. planting trees within the city of Atlanta to care for water runoff and how the city of Atlanta is actually, they say on average, three to four degrees hotter than the suburbs. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so tech, rain actually bypasses the city of Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. Like even though Atlanta is the largest urban forest east of the Mississippi. Hmm. Wow. That's insane. I think in, in line with what you're talking about, Elizabeth and, and Catherine, what you guys have mentioned, I think maybe one of the things is we've, we look for ways in which our city of Atlanta fails to provide what a garden would, yeah. and we provide that, right? Mm, so sustenance, yeah. food, peace, rest, shade, shelter, these kinds of things that maybe if we all lived in a garden, mm -hmm. uh, you know, caretake, you know, caretakers of a garden along with God, what would we be provided for? And that tells us what's missing, and that's where we – provide i think that image yeah. that we see of the new jerusalem uh in revelation 21 and 22 where god you know god basically says you know you guys want cities all right let me show you what a redeemed city looks like mm. and then the new jerusalem comes down from heaven and here on earth and in the middle of that city is the tree of life and that that image i think is really powerful in the sense of how it forms this tension and this paradox between that and the garden of eden the Garden of Eden, which we can't go back to, but the tree of life that was there, which was the main purpose of the garden in the first place, has been planted now in this new Jerusalem, this redeemed city. And there's a sense in which I think we as the church, 
particularly as Northside Church, I'll talk about us particularly, specifically, are supposed to be the fruit of that tree of life for the city that we live in so that we can participate in the redemption of Atlanta. I think we are co-workers with God in that. It's not just something we receive, but we are called to do as well. Does that make sense? It is, and I think that's where we, as I think as a congregation, have been looking to talk about, like, how do we do things, everything from... um, honoring the green space we have around our building to the partnering with the ministry and mission partners we have like you know why do we do metro atlanta project like why do we rebuild one home and one life at a time to why do we have covenant counseling here at northside church to why is it sometimes good just to you know go spend a little time at the botanical gardens or hiking along um the chattahoochee but i do think part of what we need to claim is our identity as as fellow gardeners like and so i i guess part of my prayer is we wrap up this kind of lenten study and live into being easter people is to say things are blooming like god is doing something like new things are growing how do we keep tending to them yeah and noticing maybe where they're not like a lot of things are growing and blooming but there are some areas where there are weeds or there's areas where there isn't growth like how do we as a church how do we participate in the redemption mm-hmm. of those things, right? Yeah, that's a. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No. I was gonna say that's a that gets at a key question for me is like, are you doing something that is that is bringing life? Mm. Are you doing something that's life giving? You know, what are you doing in this moment in your day that brings life to what's around you, to yourself, to what's around you, the people around you that need that are experiencing, you know, death or something less than full life in God and abundance. Um, Catherine, thank you so much Thanks for, for being here today. Join you. And I do hope I would see folks on Sunday, whether in person or online, but it's better in person. Always better in person. Yes. Uh, Elizabeth, thank you as well. Pleasure. And I want to thank everybody for paying attention to us, listening to us and, and participating in this Redemption of Babel journey that we've been on. What's coming next, James? Oh, Lord. Uh, uh, Jesus is always coming. So, Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> Amen. All right, guys. Thank you so Amen. much.